good y'all hope everybody's well welcome back to the onyx report black masculinist news for the week this is our weekly live uh where we will usually bring people up we are broadcasting today from uh, of course youtube facebook uh, uh linkedin uh twitch and uh definitely from innerlightradio.com so support innerlight radio uh, you can go to the website and support them there. Black owned, you know what it is. Shout out to Brother Jamal, brilliant uh, tactician, owner, <laughs> engineer, all of it. So shout out to him and his queen. Anyway, we up in here this week trying to get it in. Y'all know what it is. Uh, hoping everybody's well. But at the end of the day, we have to definitely state that the purpose of the show, if you're not familiar, welcome to the Onyx Report, where we as black male justice advocates uplift black men and boys using critical analysis. So hopefully um, you will participate in that journey with us. You can, uh, you know, check for my content on uh, Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, of course here on YouTube, or you can go to my website uh, and catch up with some of the stuff that I'm doing there, www.thassanjohnson.com. All the information you can see on the screen so I see we got a few people already in the house. What's up, what's up y'all? Malarkey in here first. I'm listening. Brother Barry, what's going on? Uh, Hybrid Ninjas, what's, what's happening? Good to see you. Mark Holt, what's up? Um, number of people in here. Donnie, what's, what's the word? Trey, what's up? Um, good to see y'all in here supporting the show. I think we're going to have a pretty informative one tonight. Hi, Scholar. What's up, man? So let me get in uh, some of the basic stuff so that uh, we don't ever forget that uh, we do have a membership here on the channel. You can be a member either through YouTube or through uh, Patreon. You can support the show monthly though by those means. Um, and if you go to Patreon, you can also support the Institute for Black Male Studies. Uh, you can go to instituteforblackmalestudies.com, click merchandise, and you can see some of the latest merchandise out. We have some new new apparel uh, that says Black Male Justice Advocate, that says I am a Black Masculinist, number of things that uh, you might want to uh, go ahead and cop so you can uh, go ahead and uh, stir up some, some frustration or some conversation, whichever way you want to do it, uh, so you can support along those, way, um, those means. Uh, or you can just uh, pop in a donation right here during the show. Uh, you can do it uh, most particularly through Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, or uh, through YouTube itself. Uh, in the comment section, go ahead and put in a super chat. We ask that you support the show. So like, share, subscribe, join, and donate, if you will, support the channel. And real quick, we'd like to go ahead and honor uh, the subscribers uh, through Patreon and YouTube who've been supporting the show the last couple of years. Here we go.
Right. So shout out to the supporters. Hopefully, if you're not one, you will become one and uh, support what we're doing. So a few more people up in here. What's up, Cornbread? Right. Got Nim in here. AKs and Curtains. What's up? AB Media. What's the word? Uh, CR Frank. Uh, Brother Art Newsel. What's going on? MLR. Always good to have you. Uh, so hope all is well. Looks like we got a full house so far and we're still, you know, waiting for people to come in. So that's all good. Uh, y'all know what we do here uh, on the Onyx Report. We usually start our weekly lives um, uh, celebrating black men and we do not shy away from doing so. So as y'all know, I am want to do. This is the Sacred Black Masculine series. Now, this is an organic thing. Uh, this is not something I go searching for. These are things that just kind of naturally flow across my desk. And I try to shout out black men whenever I can who are doing something that I think is noteworthy. Um, and this week is no different. So let us first start by celebrating this brother here. Right. And this is a post. Uh, he's on LinkedIn, but I found this particular post on LinkedIn. What's up, Cameron? What's up, brother Malika? Brother Freddie? What's going on? D-Hive? Going on, seeing a number of y'all coming through. AK, uh, appreciate that support, brother Malika. Appreciate that. But this brother is Judge Carlos Moore, and he is doing some, uh, you know, what I believe to be some good work that needs to be replicated. And I can't speak to how often it already has been, um, but I'm hoping there are more judges out there like him. But according to this post, this is something he posted earlier on, about 14 hours ago. And uh, it reads, so today, an 18-year-old young lady appeared before me in court. She had a possession of marijuana in a motor vehicle charge, and it was her first offense. I learned she finished high school last year and currently works at a local grocery store. She told me she wants to be an engineer, but did not score high enough on the ACT to even get in community college. I offered to put her in my Do Better ASAP program, Alternate Sentencing Accountability uh, Program, all she has to do is retake the ACT and get admitted to a community college by August 16th, and her charge will be dismissed. She will have a clean record and hopefully go on to do great things. Let's hope she takes full advantage of this second chance. Her mother had to encourage her because at one point she asked me how much the, how much is the fine. She listened to her mother and agreed to do better ASAP. So shout out to him. He says, hashtag second chances matter. Uh, Judge Carlos Moore who, uh, as you can see at the top, there is also president of the National Bar Association, I believe is in Florida. Uh, and apparently this is a program that he does offer to black males as well. Now we talk about that on this show. Sometimes you see these kind of programs, they look great. And then you see they're overwhelmingly targeted toward one demographic in the black community. And more often than not, it's not only not black males, but uh, when it comes to you know programs that should be for black males, there people are hesitant to even identify or acknowledge uh, the need black males have. So for males, it'll be some generic category of males of color or some, you know, they tap dance around it. But when it's for other groups, uh, it tends to be very direct and unapologetically so. So uh, from my understanding, this program isn't targeted at black males, but I'm also told that he has a good number of them in it. So shout out to him. Much appreciation for that. That's what we want to see when, you know, that was the initial idea behind having, you know, black folk in positions of authority. The idea was that you were supposed to advocate for black people. And that's not something we always see. So shout out to him. Uh, brother, Dr. Brandon Gamble, appreciate that support. Hope you're well, good brother. Had a chance to see uh, Dr. Gamble as well as uh, Dr. Akibulon in uh, San Diego State uh, last Thursday. 
gave a presentation there and went really well. Enjoyed the campus, enjoyed the hospitality. So shout out to that community and those two brothers in particular who led the way in bringing me in and, and allowing, allowing me to sit down with some brothers there. So shout out to San Diego State and the crew there. Um, what's up, Lee's Ways? Right, Mac Bones, what's going on? Got an AC in here, ghetto user. Appreciate that support, right? So let me get past this. And we're going to jump right in. Y'all know what it is. Uh, BLM and the Blame Black Men, hashtag Blame Black Men featuring Hood Scholar. Um, as you know, if you've been paying attention, I did a live last night uh, about an article that was entitled, uh, you know, based on a, a tweet, you know, kind of really a disrespectful tweet toward black men labeled that black men couldn't die right. The author of that article who, you know, he, he put it together. It was well done. It's, it's, it's already been published in South Africa and the UK. And of course, uh, we contributed to that reading it on the air here. And uh, so he's here to join us. Let me go ahead and bring up Dr. Travis Hood Scholar. Uh, man, how you doing? What's up? What's up? What's the word, man? What you been up to, man? Uh, bro. Hey, look, I mean, we got to tell him how we changed it because the, the show was so fire last night. I was like, yo, we got to keep that going. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you I was going I was going to do it, man, because when I first read it, uh, the, the particular version of the article I saw didn't have your name on it. But yeah. at least I can see it at the at the front. So I'm reading it. And I was like, I know that speech pattern. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote, I had to write him. I said, hey, man, did you write this? <laughs> yeah, bro. Yeah, and, and gladly he fixed it. But I mean, that that joint, like you said, and just to give people the background, like when that, we later on, we're going to get to the thread, but I got too, so tired and so fed up with this rhetoric about black men that right. black feminists were pushing that right. I said I had to do something, right? But this is the problem because even while I was working on the article, the come by he river collective statement that you mm -hmm. mentioned that we're gonna talk about, mm -hmm. this one has been translated in multiple languages. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, I'm like, if we're gonna actually do something, right? Mm -hmm. Not just not just respond to the tweet, not just um be upset, but if, if I actually have a response, I need to make this response on a global level. Okay. So okay. that's why, like, you found it. Like, that's dope. You found that joint, but you found it from South Africa. Yeah, I did. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't gonna lie. Y'all know Hassan is the man if you get articles from South Africa. <laughs> Look, yo, the crazy part, he got, he found out the article, he found out about the article before I did, and I'm the one who wrote it. <laughs> and I was like, in the title, the author uh, was listed as a, as a South African brother. And I was like, yo, did you change your name? Because <laughs> I was like, I know that speech pattern player. I know who this is. This is not the South African brother writing nah, this. We felt like about that. But, but um, yeah, so the good news, um, we got it south. I got other locations lined up. I actually mm -hmm. working on Spain right now, nice. which is dope because then that's gonna mean three continents and two different languages because it's gonna be in Spanish. And see, I want I want brothers to understand. This last couple of years, uh, the stuff we're doing on YouTube, I mean, yeah, you got cats that are doing all kinds of stuff, but the stuff that 
the brothers I roll with are doing is we are trying to change the world. We are trying to get our perspective as black men who are going this, uh, going through this out there. And it's not just to be making YouTube shows. It's not, you know, what it's about is actually transforming the way black men most particularly engage these issues, think about these issues. We want to develop a vocabulary and narrative so that when we can actually talk about these things, we can talk about it with authority. We can talk about it with clarity. We can bring in, we can definitely make sure truth and documentation and, and, and empiricism guides how we talk about this. So we're not just making up shit. You know, there's this, all of this is not, you know, for the sake of YouTube entertainment. We are right. really trying to, you know, actually show most particularly black men that we don't have to continue living like this and really bring this out to the forefront. So first of all, I wanted to be able, I wanted to shout, uh, you know, Brother Hood Scholar out for putting that work out internationally and this is the kind of work we need to celebrate and continue to produce that puts our experiences out there uh, also he brought up the kumbahi river collective if you really want to do some background on that you can google it of course i, I highly recommend people read it but also go check green gorilla's channel because he did an overview of it uh over a year and a half ago i want to say so right here on youtube you can just put in green gorilla kumbahi river collective and you can check out uh, how he breaks that down, because this is this has definitely been a longstanding movement uh, to not only advance black women under a set a certain set of politics, but to undermine and underdevelop black men at the same time. And we have to be very clear about how that agenda has worked and what it's been funded by, which also ties us back into BLM. So uh, shout out to Barry for that support. Yeah, thanks, Barry. And uh, as far as John, um, I have not been invited to Cal Poly. That's the only reason I haven't been there. So if you got an invitation, or you know something going on, uh, let me know, and we can we can talk about that. Especially if you're trying to set up something like the Black uh, Onyx Black Male Collective at Cal Poly, I'm definitely happy to help. But let's get let's move a little backwards. So you were talking a little bit about what inspired you to write this article. Was there any like singular event, or how did it kind of culminate? It, bro, actually, it, the dope part about this interview that we're doing now is this is really a culmination of the previous interviews and conversations, previous public interviews we had and private conversations we had. Okay. okay. So I think, um, and, I, and I don't know if you, the last thing you look at the Google Doc, but I, I actually wanted to go back in time to that Come By He River Collective. So what okay. I was thinking was I wanted to start there because that's the beginning of the black feminist movement that originally gets that gets to where we are now but what it was was during grad school is when i was introduced to black feminism okay so we want to start so, here yep right there okay and i want us and so we i don't i don't want us to go through the whole line by line of article of the article since you did it so look again everybody who's watching hopefully um you can go back and watch it or you can read the article the is is available you just google can, can black man die right but scroll right back up to um the beginning and this okay. is the point i want to highlight right look at this this is in the come by he river collective okay look at number three it says problems in organizing black feminists and just to let you know i just i just posted the article uh in the, in the live chat so people can check that out while you're talking about it but go ahead so this is a key point right they are so two things i want to say about this point number one as i say in the article it started off with them leaving another black feminist organization mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so let that sink in right at the very beginning 
they even fighting with each other. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Right? So then when we get here in their own statement, it says that we have found this very difficult to organize around black feminist issues. So they are admitting, and this is what in, in the 1970s. So when they first started out, they are sending their own words. Look, mm-hmm. black people weren't really feeling them. Mm. Right. Nobody want to listen to black feminists. Mm-hmm. So then let's and go, so again go to the next part, right? Who who was out there trying to give them the push? Mm-hmm. Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and if you scroll down just a little bit because I want them to see the 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 title. Uh, I'm sorry, scroll up. Oh, okay. The, the feminist was a spook. Mm-hmm. This is an article, and this and this article actually white people were talking about this. Guess guess who Gloria Steinem used to work for? Mm. CIA. Right. So I talking about this in detail on my article, but I just wanted to bring this out, right? Like let. Let this sink into your mind. Black feminists break off from the liberation movements, right? And mm. let's be clear too: this were not these were not all black women, right? This wasn't even a representative representation of all black women. This was right. a particular group, right, of black women, right. a middle class black woman, right, who had mm. these issues, who who were able to meet and organize, etc., right? Mm-hmm. Um. So it's a particular group of black women who break off a liberation movement and they said they had problems with the movement, but they end up working with Gloria Steinem. Mm-hmm. Gloria Steinem worked for the CIA. Right. So make help me understand this. How in the world we it's on record? It's not even something that we're that they've hidden anymore. Yeah, both Cointel Pro and CIA formed programs. That aimed at disrupting and destroying the black liberation movement. Right. Why then would you work with someone from the very same organization mm-hmm. that was fighting for your liberation? Right. Right. And this isn't, and the thing is, it'll be it'll be different. If this was like a conspiracy theory that I was making up. But right. this is widely known to everybody. And she admitted it publicly about working with the CIA. So it's not even like a hidden issue. Yeah, she yeah, and, and if you want to look at the article, you don't not you, but if you just Google the feminist was a spook, she talks about it in her own book. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. So then scroll up to now. I was wondering, can we play the clip from the Tony Brown journal? Uh where is it? Oh, right, right there. there? Uh, do you have it? Oh, you want it at a certain time? Okay, yeah, three eighteen to three fifteen. Because yes, I want y'all to hear. So, um, black males get off in the books of okay, yes, there you go, three oh seven. So that's a little early, but uh, but this is perfect. So Ishmael Reed, right? It's funny because don't he kind of remind you of Tommy Carey? Oh wow, <laughs> not right off, but definitely in terms of his, think about his mannerisms, his, his, his delivery. <laughs> but you want me- like and maybe he yeah, but. The, to me, he's like an early Tommy Curry, right? But listen to what he says and how is a is a is a is a quick a quick quip, but look at how they respond to his comment. And so this again, this goes along with feminists having problems to organize um 
doing this is the 19 uh, what is the 1980s 1990s you remember oh, this, is, this is 1980s yeah yeah you can, see, you can catch the whole video for this particular episode again on the green gorilla channel uh he actually pulled this out edited the sound so you could hear it clearly so shout out to that brother but uh you want me to go ahead and play it yep go ahead and play it and for uh to what point just to like 345 okay here we go feminists uh, that i can name where in one book i can name i don't want to deal on personalities a black male is uh, mutilated sexually. In another book, a very famous novel, a uh, black uh, man's mother burns him up. There's no motive for this. Uh, and uh, in another book, I can name uh, uh, cruel things happen to black men. Uh, in this uh, book, all the violence actually happens to the men. Uh, one is murdered, uh, one goes crazy. So I don't see, I try to be fair in a book, so I don't see how anybody could single this book out and say it's a misogynistic book. But anybody who wears a pair of pants these days, according to people like Barbara Smith, is misogynist. Barbara, uh, you're... That's it right there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You see that? So it, he, he was so smooth with it, right? <laughs> but he basically was clowning her. <laughs> yeah, he was. And, he, and, and, even, and pulled out the data. He was pulling out data on you know, uh, intimate partner violence, intimate partner homicide. And he even talked about going to the library to pull up the data because <laughs> that was, you know, that was the time. But bro, I ain't gonna lie, bro. That, that just, took me back. But, but just as, as opposed to just going off of opinion, he went right. off of the data, which was something that you could see was needed then and is still needed now. But go ahead. And, and, and I, no, I was gonna say jokingly, like I remember those like pre-internet days when you had to go into the library, you find one book and then one book lead you to another book. Yeah, yes, sir. Yes, sir. But he, he went through the okay. stacks. So. Yeah. And so that means he did that work. Right. Mm -hmm. And the thing was, and I don't know if you could hear the crowd, but even the crowd was kind of like laughing along with him. Mm -hmm. And like, <laughs> and think about like, it was so smooth. He's like, yeah, anybody who's wearing pants is a misogynist. Like, mm -hmm. so smooth. But it's like, yeah. So, so the point is, right. The 70s, they, they say in their statement, they can't organize black people. In the 80s, you see what's happening. They they pretty much, he's clowning them. They're, clearly, nobody's really, like, giving them that much um, preponderance. And, like, they, they, they got something, but not really. But the shift happens with, go to the next one, you see. BLM. Okay, wait, am I going down? No, yeah, no, right there. That was okay. it. Okay. And I was thinking right here, we can pick up on the conversation from yesterday and the things you wanted to um, ask me about. Because as I say in the article, you all were reading the article, BLM was the shift. The shift from them being like basically clowned and not, and not being able to organize to all of a sudden, all of a sudden, oh yeah, guess what? Black feminism is cool. Right. Well, look here, we got 224 uh, watching, like, share, subscribe, join, and donate, support the channel, if you will, to uh, help us keep this thing going. But, um, let me see here. All right. So we, <laughs> that's what's up. That's what's up. This is why I got to do it, man. Right. That's right. Generations. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. So so anybody who's been listening to my show for very long knows that, you know, we talk about this turn. We talk about this shift in terms of BLM politics. And I'm probably going to talk about this more at length, but there's a very particular moment that's fairly recent where we started to do what I call the black masculinist turn. 
we had to admit that there's been a shift. I mean, we had to admit that there's there's been a political shift in the black community that we can no longer deny. And I talk about this right around the time where Ice Cube is in conversation uh, with the, you know, you know, the, the three actresses, you know, uh, I always forget their name, Coffee with Queens. I, I always forget the damn name of that show. But usually when I mention Ice Cube, most of us know what it means. And I call it the black masculinist turn because Cube at that time was advocating for black America. And when those sisters delineated themselves, they distinguished, they separated themselves from talking about the black community to talking specifically about themselves as black women, as almost a separate entity. That's what I call the black masculinist turn. It was the moment where we had to recognize that black blackness, as we understand it, is not engaged the same way as it was in the 1970s. Gender has fractured how we understand blackness, whether you like it or not. And a lot of that is predicated on black feminism. But the reason I wanted to talk to you is because even though we talk about these issues with BLM, we talk about the shifts that took place and trying to understand how feminism and LGBT ideology and and, and rhetoric and talking points change the game and what it means now, you are in an interesting position. You actually started a chapter of BLM and you talked a little bit about this in the article. Tell us about that moment where you start this, this thing and then when you start to notice a difference in, in what's going on within the organization. So, shout out to MLR and shout out to DIY Queen uh, for the donations. But go ahead, brother. Yeah, y'all going in on the uh, comments, yo. Appreciate that. And thanks. Thank y'all for your engagement. This is, a, <laughs> hey, we can't, <laughs> it, we can't change the past, right? Um, mm -hmm. Like you said, I, I was BLM. Actually, you can really say I was a black feminist to an, to an extent. I was BLM. I was black feminist. I was all the way in. And and I talked to, I talked to with you, and I don't know if we did it on a show or not, but um, 2014, I went to Ferguson, right? Yeah. Crazy. It just so happened that fall break, 2014 was also my first year in graduate school. So it just so happened that fall break uh, was on that right after the very the weekend that Ferguson October happened, happened right? Mm -hmm. So I go to Ferguson and being there, you can really say it changed my life. Okay. Because okay. one, it was like, as the whole, we saw it, right? It changed the world, right? The whole mm -hmm. world started, the, the white, the, what many of us had been saying for years, mm -hmm. right? What many black men had been saying. We've been saying this is the way the cops been treating us. This is what been happening to us. Nobody believed us. Right. But when we saw the video, the video footage, and we saw that it was it was like it was undeniable, right? So one, that shit was happening. So while that was happening, being there meant that I was right there in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what 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 happens with and since then I've I've continued to build relationships with people. Um, there, that's where the IBFA at. But since what we call it, we call it the Ferguson effect, right? Mm -hmm. Where you can literally, like, it was a, a tangible energy. Okay. And and I would and I would explain it this way. To me, I experienced a sense, just a taste of freedom, mm -hmm. right? Because what 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 we saw there were black people mm -hmm. unified with one goal, and that was to get justice for Mike Brown. 
mm-hmm. right? And so being there, it was like, whoa, like I know what freedom tastes like. Mm-hmm. I know what happens when black people come together. So then I know what's possible. Mm-hmm. So being there, like and, and some of some other some of us call it ground zero, right? So being there in ground zero led to like, yo, I need to do something. Right. Right. And so what I did, because again, what happened? So we know 2012, Trayvon Martin, that's what some people start to wake up. That's what oh, quick side note. Um Alicia Garza actually wasn't the first one to say Black Lives Matter. Okay. Actually, did you hear about this? I'm not sure. Oh man, I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of sending, but it was actually a black dude who said it first. It okay. just so happened that she was able to make it popular. Wow. So yeah, crazy. So many, yeah. So Alicia now, I, said I Black remember, Lives Matter. Huh? I remember watching when people started heading to Ferguson. And, uh, I, you know, I was watching social media when, you know, Mike was still on the ground. So I'm yeah. watching this stuff. And one of the things I noticed over the next few days is I'm seeing this cadre of, you know, uh, relatively young black women who look to be degreed kind of showing up in larger, larger numbers. I'm seeing pastors coming in from out of the area. I'm seeing all kinds of people. Uh, what was that like on the ground watching people kind of swoop in? Yeah, bro. If so, I'm. That's why I'm so glad you paid the Darren Seals clip. Yeah, and I, I'm gonna explain it this way. There were always two protesters and two to, two protests going on. Mm. The first group, you and I, we'll just do it just to simplify. You have the day group and the night group. Okay. The day group. What you think the day group is there? Getting oh, pictures. <laughs> Yeah. Wearing the blue vest and <laughs> having a cameraman to yeah. perfectly time when they get arrested. <laughs> wow. Wow. I mean, Darren was, was he called it out. He said, you know, these people will come and sit down and tweet. And tweet, yeah. bro. Yeah. So what, so this is what will happen, right? You will see the day group will be there with all the cameras. All of that was there, right? And then the people who were actually in the fight. Right, actually, like Darren said, getting tear gas, dealing with police and all that, that happened with the night group. Okay. So what you would see, and this is why like, I hate the, the, to differentiate anybody who's outside, but we got to be real about it. Mm-hmm. Everybody who was outside won't really outside. Okay. So there are going to be people who, who will make a claim about Ferguson. Okay. Right? And there'll be people, like, like, and like that's why Darren Seal broke it down. Mm-hmm. You never saw Opal, Tometi, and Alicia getting tear gas mm. or shot with rubber bullets or any of that stuff, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, so what you saw is what happened with the day group. Okay. Who was who was fighting with the militarized police force, dealing with the tanks, the tear gas, and you saw that on a night group, right? But you mm-hmm. saw that through the live feeds. Okay. You, you, you actually think back through the live feeds now that you can remember that, right? Mm-hmm. You that stuff that was happening in the live feeds when did all that time happen? All that stuff happened during the night. Okay, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So a lot of a lot of what you saw, um, I mean, it's possible that they could still have some level of inspiration and like wanted to do something, mm-hmm. but something different when you get hit in the leg by a, a rubber bullet. Like I know what that feel like. 
Mm. Mm. Bro, and like that tear gas literally stays in your system, right? Mm. So like when I like it was so I think when I first because I used to be in the military and I, I used to go in the gas chambers, so it didn't hit me as much. Okay. But later on, like I could still feel the tear gas in mm. my throat. Like I thought I was sick. And then <laughs> the other people from Ferguson was like, nah, you you just dealing with tear gas because they they were so used to it. Okay. So like there, and that's what Darren Seals was talking about, right? There's a different level of inspiration and energy that comes with actually being in the mud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not everybody who was out there were in the mud. Okay. Okay. So how long did you spend out there? Now, you you oh, live fairly close. Oh, no. So I only, I only went out there for a couple of days the first time in 2014. Okay. The first time I was only out there for a couple of days. And that's why, because remember, I was a first-year graduate student. Now, this is how crazy it was. I was a first-year graduate student, married with two kids. Mm, okay. So I'm literally figuring out everything. We just moved to a new city. Um, I'm trying to figure out grad school, and but it's the urgency was there. I got to do something to fight for my people. Okay. So I come back to Williamsburg, and just like a lot of other people, it went. I start a, a local, a black, a, we call it BLM Williamsburg, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter Williamsburg. Okay. Okay. So it, it, when you started this, did you get, did you attempt to reach out to, you know, the primary core BLM entity? Yes. What happened? For years. Wow. And it actually got, initially when I reached out, I was like, you know, maybe because they're busy, you know, all the stuff is going on. Because I, I started in 2004. So once I got back to Williamsburg, I started the process of making my chapter an official chapter in 2014. Okay. Now, you know, I don't know if you remember, 2014 was crazy because we were, we still hadn't even had the, the grand jury verdict, all that was going on. Um, we had, and then after the, the, the non-indictment, we had one of the biggest protests. I don't know if you remember that, but when people was protesting everywhere, Mm-hmm. They actually said that the protest that I led here in Williamsburg was one of the biggest protests that they ever had in the history of Williamsburg. Okay. Because we had over like 200 people. So that first of all, I was busy. I was like, all right, we busy, maybe. So when we get to 2015, I still didn't hear from them. Okay. Like, Whoa. Because the thing is, right, even though I started doing BLM in 2014, I was doing community work since I was six. You remember mm-hmm. me telling you that, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was new to doing community work and new to organizing. So I knew that we needed like solutions, right? I knew that just protesting wasn't going to get us free. Okay. So we had got to the point where we were starting to do conferences and then starting to do like actual, I mean, and I continue, we was actually outside in the community. Mm-hmm. So we outside in the community doing conferences, all that stuff. So I'm like, yo, BLM, what's up? What's up? 2016 roll around mm-hmm. didn't hear nothing and then that's when i was like yo something ain't right so two big things happened in 2016. one we invite out patrice colors okay to speak because this was our third either second or third annual blm conference which shows you we we we've been working we've been working we've been working um and Guess what they, they tell us? Mm. It will be $15,000 to bring her out. So, 
fifteen thousand to bring her out to one of her chapters. You know, inv invitation. Bruh. Mm -hmm. Right. I was like, uh, uh. This. So when that happened, I I was like, I need to make some real hard decisions. Right. And then, number two. I finally got in contact with Black Lives Matter DC, who, who was an official chapter. Mm -hmm. And they helped me get in contact with like one person finally from the national team. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hear anything else from them. Okay. So I'm like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. What are we doing? How are we supposed to be a national movement if it's difficult? First of all, for me, even work. So Williamsburg is only two hours from DC. If it's okay. difficult for me, even work with people in DC. And I haven't even not once gone on two to three years um, heard from the national chapter, from the national organization. And see, this is one of the things I, I said to you before. If I'm if I'm heading up a national organization, <laughs> if I'm heading a national organization and somebody claims to have a chapter. Now, one, I'm going to want to hook up just because I'm trying to expand what I'm doing. But if nothing else, I also need to find out what you're about, because you can be used to undermine the organization I'm building. You know what I mean? If you guys are over there stealing money, throwing orgies, that they can use that to say something about the national organization. So I'm going to be extremely aware, you know, tied in to whoever, you know, whoever, whoever is calling themselves BLM. I'm going to want to know. But you're saying you didn't get any contact at all. So go now go back to the um, document because I mm -hmm. want you to see something. Okay. Good. Um, scroll, scroll down. I think is it down? Or... No, okay. Scroll up. Scroll up. Right there. Go, go okay. down to the medium article. Scroll okay. down. Right there. Click on that one. Okay. Uh, there we go. Like you were saying, anything could be going on in these chapters, right? Mm -hmm. With this organization. And so one of the key reasons of having their involvement is accountability. Okay. Let me see what we can do. I right, scroll up some more. Yep, breaking sound. That's the very top. So you want me to scroll down? Yeah, I'm sorry, scroll down. Yeah. Yep. So actually start of that paragraph. What below? No, nah, um, the paragraph one paragraph up. Okay. Can you it see it? The one with Mike Brown in it. Because it brings the whole story together. There it goes. It's always been the hope. It's always been the hope that that's allowed me to move beyond fear, to run out into the streets of Ferguson for Mike Brown and sacrifice deeply towards building a powerful movement before many trusted it could be one. It's the same hope. He's messing with the mic or something. Oh. All right, can you hear me now? Yeah, that's better. Go ahead. Yeah. It's the same hope that allowed me to speak truth to power. Mm -hmm. So then, so I, I just wanted you to see that part because you can see the like that Ferguson energy that I was talking about. Okay. I scroll down because this is what she wrote to the national organization. Somebody else trying to contact them. And, and, and Ashley Lakes is actually pretty known. She's like a blue check. And, um, okay. All right. What? Okay, so yeah, 
he read that part, this person has a hold on. So this person has a history of abusive predatory behavior and had remained unrepentant, unaccountable, and abusive to those she's harmed. Uh, while the network has responded with suggestions of processes rooted in transformative justice, I want to be clear that my letter was offered in the spirit of accountability and integrity, not as an opportunity to silence me, ask for private processes that allow BLM and my abuser to control the narrative or isolate me back into silence. What I revealed was not unknown to the leadership before my letter. They just chose not to address it. Transformative justice comes when we're intentionally about transforming. Keeping silent about abuse isn't transformative. Okay. So I guess he's dealing with his son at the moment. So when I raised the issue of, you know, accountability, when I asked about, you know, behavior of chapters, he brought up this particular piece from Ashley Yates. And they're talking about, you know, the various types of, uh, you know, abuse that's going on within the organization and how the response to the, um, you know, uh, assertions, the accusations being made were kind of muted from what I understand. So um, hopefully we'll get back on that topic in a moment. And it's, uh, he didn't, this, he didn't disappeared. Damn. <laughs> God damn. Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all. He was supposed to be asleep. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, so did you, did you read it? Yeah. So basically, um, this is the point you were getting at, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a, a well-known activist who was a part of the organization. Mm -hmm. and, and and this, <laughs> of course, goes against every narrative, right? Because what, what, what we're going to talk about later, blame black men. Right. Like, who, who's the abusers? Who's the one who's doing all the hurting? It's black men. Oh, mm -hmm. hold on, BLM. In your very own organization. Mm -hmm. Your mm -hmm. own people. What, what position she's in? She was in a high position, wasn't it? I didn't say. I'm not sure. Okay, but basically, she was on the the the, the abuser was is in a got a particular position in the organization. Mm -hmm. So what are they doing? Yeah. What is BLM doing? Is beeping. <laughs> okay, hold on. Okay, so. All right, let me see here. Uh, Actually, can you yeah? What can you pull up? Um, yeah, and so then right there, that's a picture. I think that's Alicia Scroller. I think that's Alicia, and that's Gloria Steinem. Yep. Okay, it didn't it wasn't labeled, but yeah. Yeah. So then, <laughs> and so in the article, I say um, Gloria Steinem was not successful with Michelle Wallace. But she was successful with Black Lives Matter. Right. Michelle Wallace, the author of uh hold on. Yeah, I thought this thing was I think I'm I hope I didn't take out I don't think I took out a piece of it. No, you didn't. Okay, because I thought something was missing. No, nope, anyway, um, okay. What but anyway, Michelle Wallace, author of uh, Black Macho and the uh, I think it's myth of the superwoman. But uh go ahead. So she she helped kind of push that, um, but it's not until a little bit later that we see black feminism really take off. Most particularly, most particularly, well, actually, we did see it in the 80s in terms of pop media as yeah. filtered through Oprah Winfrey and her network, Terry McMillan. We start to see 
the kind of popularization Basically, of yeah. of black feminist, uh, you know, talking, especially through, with color purple, right? So you and again filtered through Oprah Winfrey. So you're starting to see these media narratives start to shift. And to this day, you know, this is something black men write my show about, talking about how these the color purpling of Black America is mm. still is still occurring, right? People are most particularly black women are talking about the the narratives put out by the by the color purple as you know almost uh you know synonymous with black womanhood like where mister is representative of black men and there's this kind of identification with abuse and homicide as it relates to somehow all black women's experiences but when you when you actually look at the data you know one of the things we find is that the abuse component of it is that the black community is bi-directional. So you have abuse on both fronts. And in terms of homicide, as a good sociologist friend of mine put it, you're more likely to be struck by both a lightning than killed by your intimate partner. So you're literally talking about a couple of hundred men, a couple of hundred women, roughly speaking, per year out of 43 million black folk who are killed. You know, this is why it's important for us to actually look at the data. It's nothing like what we're told. And so when you have these kind of, you know, narratives like what you find in color purple versus what's really kind of happening on the ground, there's a vast difference, but there's an over-identification with this media. And so black men become, you know, kind of presented as this idea. So, um, you going to need a little time or? No, I'm good. I'm ready. Sure. I got it. I got his, um, he liked these cinnamon bites. <laughs> oh goodness! Yeah, he liked these joints for some reason. So now that he got I mean, these, he should be good. As long as you ain't going to chase him around all night, I know about that sugar boy. <laughs> yeah, trying to put babies to bed, it ain't happening. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, you, you okay, go ahead. Chapter you you talked about starting a chapter. Tell us yeah. a little bit about uh, when you began to really recognize there was something different, and how you how you addressed that. What did you do in response to that? Yeah, so one, I was like, and uh, you know what? Let me say this, because you wouldn't have known to ask me this. I always noticed some issues I had with my chapter and that it was hard, like, like well, let me say it this way, and y'all see this now. It was easy to, to get white people involved. Okay. But I had to work harder to, to organize black people as as black lives matter okay. right so it was two things going on um one the media narratives at that time period remember every since everything was black lives matter what they said in the news was black lives matter okay so there were people who thought that like if something if something bad happened oh that's black lives matter right mm. or um Oh, like uh, another, it was like all these misconceptions that I just had to work through, right? So whenever I tried to work with the older generations, it was, well, y'all don't care about what we did in the 60s. Okay. And then when I went to um, another group, it was like, well, Black Lives Matter ain't gonna be along, be be here that long. These were all black people. They were like, Black mm -hmm. Lives Matter ain't gonna be here that long anyway. So I did, I gotta admit, bro, like I should have noticed that, like, I should have been like, that should have been a sign for me too. Okay. But the white people were showing up. <laughs> okay. That's why you see everywhere with Black Lives Matter. Okay. So a lot mm -hmm. of white people. Okay. Okay. So um, but 
but who who again is really happy in pushing black feminism mm-hmm. white people right mm-hmm. so i then were the sense were there so but i do want to put that out there like i i made the mistake um but but don't don't get me wrong i was able to just because of who i am i was mm-hmm. able to work with black people right um so that was thing and there were time periods bro where it was like and, and you're going to you're going to get to this question later on but it was like i'm still a straight black man okay and remember the whole narrative was to de-center mm. black men mm-hmm. and center queerness and and consider and to center black women and queerness now when you how did you how did you first realize that was happening so you're you're technically in this organization you have a kind of distance from it, even though you you built this chapter, when did you start to notice this difference in how you know being a straight black man was being interpreted? Right, it was it was a couple of things. Right, part of it was like like we we're going to talk about with blaming black men. There were people already had perceptions about me. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh well, since he's a since he's a straight black man, this is what he thinks, okay. or this is what he this is, and so that was I literally I, I found out later. That someone got mad at me for misgendering them. Okay. Do you know what I mean by misgendering? Mm-hmm. Well, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So for the audience, right? Um, and and this happened a lot in in higher education. People would come in with their their gender assigned at birth, right? So they would say, uh, they would come in ident- identifying as a male, right. and then they would either become trans or or they, they become they them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well. I didn't know that they had changed their gender. Okay. So I'm like, hey, what's up, yo? Oh, what's up? And then they were like, oh, Travis, you you misgendered. And that was the other thing. It all these conversations happened behind my back. Okay. So okay. it wasn't like he told me, I'm sorry, they told me to my face. Mm-hmm. They were talking about me behind my back. And then somebody came to me later on, was like, yeah, they were upset that you just that you um misgendered them. I'm like, I didn't even know they changed. Mm. But the assumption <laughs> was that changed. I wouldn't even be able to keep up with that. Okay. That you wouldn't care or you just right, right. okay. And this is the crazy part. Remember, you can say I was a black feminist. Right. So I was all into making sure I had the right pronouns to make sure that I understood your identity, that I identified you the way you want. I was all I was all in it. Right. But that's not something you can immediately always know on site, regardless. So even if you if you're into that and you support those politics, you're not going to know how to always do that. So yeah, so you were experiencing it first of all socially. So it's kind of behind your back. Yeah, you're kind of hearing from it from a third party kind of thing. What other th- kind of things begin to happen to let you know? Whenever there were getting, they, they, we would have leadership bat um leadership battles, right? Uh-huh. And this and and <laughs> some of it was like these because I'm working with graduate uh, undergraduate students too, right? Mm-hmm. So so part of it it was like so this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to build a bridge because I was at College of Women Mary. I wanted to build a bridge between the College of Women Mary and a community of Williamsburg. Okay. So I'm like, how can I be a graduate student? How can I be right here in College of Women Mary? And I'm supposed to be Black Lives Matter and doing work, but I but I don't even do work in my own town. Right. So what I was doing, I was trying to build a bridge, right? 
mm-hmm. so that the people in the community so because that's another problem with a lot of these universities and colleges right they will usually keep out the community the local black community mm-hmm. so how are you going to do all this research and all this stuff for black people right and you not even talking to the black to the black people right right, right down the street from you so what will happen a lot the students will want to focus on only on the campus mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i'm like no we that's we black lives matter we're not a student group yeah you gotta we be, supposed be a local winsburg black lives matter organization and the thing is i actually was working with people who were killed families of loved ones who were killed by the police okay right so the work that i was doing wasn't just some like let's just have fun i literally had arguments <laughs> It feels weird saying this, but I'm arguing with like third and fourth year um students, but it's a black woman. Okay, okay, okay. So it's like, you know, we got a decenter men. So even though um I have I've been organizing since I was six, I've been in the community since I was six years old. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this work for years. It didn't matter because if I push my it'll be i'm i'm mansplaining i'm being misogynistic and y'all i'm just trying to make people do what i say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so you're being you're 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 having others frame your behavior and nobody's talking to you nobody's you know actually you know clarifying anything they're just making assumptions about you and what you're doing what your motivations are uh, and you have no say so in any of this well no no so this is in like decision making about the org okay about i'm sorry about the local chapter so no we're we're going back and forth but Mm -hmm. the the consensus is since i'm a straight black man we need to defer to non-straight black men Mm -hmm. okay does that make sense sure 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 so So since this is a a black woman it doesn't matter if she's a college student it doesn't matter how long she's been involved in doing this work. Only thing that matters is her gender identity. Okay. Even if you were the one that founded the chapter, that doesn't matter. <laughs> Bruh, that's a, and I, I think I even said that one point, right? I, I know you know what? No, I didn't say it because I just I was just like, you know what? I said, I am the one who started this. Hmm. I was the one who did all the labor. I did I did all the network. I did all of that. And now I'm arguing with you. A senior college student? Well, understand the reason I asked you the question is even back then, one of the, the kind of conversations going on under the table was that where you know straight black men were not allowed to really be in leadership positions and be acknowledged. Um you know, and one of the things we've seen since the funding issues have come to bear, uh, we found, and I did a show about this last year, those chapters that got funding were you know, for the most part, entirely LGBT in terms of their leadership. None had straight black male, you know, uh, chapter leaders, founders, whatever you would call them. And those who were, especially those who were in the news who founded chapters in BLM and they were straight black men, they were disassociated from the, you know, kind of formal BLM organization. Did you notice that happening? So, um, I, you know what, now that I'm saying it, maybe that was the issue that black men were having because black men were the hardest people for me to organize through BLM. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And in my conversations since then with other black men who who also used to be a part of BLM, mm-hmm. 
right. they have shared similar experiences. Okay. So, um, in in the middle of it, it black men were the hardest people to organize. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, a lot of black men I spoke to said, "Yeah, Travis, that happened to me." Well, tell me this, just and I know this is just off the gut, but why do you think black men were the hardest to organize? What do you think was behind it in hindsight? Um, I mean, I have my theories, but you know, yeah. what do you think? I'm trying to think about that. Like you're talking about, like so you're talking about organizing for a protest, that kind of no, thing? no, just to be a part. So let me say this. I was able to get some, I'm sorry, let me say it like this. And in some of the work that we was doing in the community. So we were like, we were actually doing actual work, right? Not the just so we were like having book drafts. Okay. Um, giving a, we were like giving away free books, setting up mobile libraries, um, back to school drafts, um, just a lot of the actual community work, right? Mm-hmm. Um mainly, actually, you know what? Let me, you know what? Now that we're talking it out, let me say it differently. Okay. It was harder to organize black men on campus. Okay. Okay. Because now that I'm thinking about, guess what? <laughs> guess who was working with me on these back to school drives and all this other community work we was doing? Mm. Guess who it was? Exactly. Black men. Oh wow. Okay. So um, it was really on campus. Which makes me think it was probably like I'm wondering if there's like the theoretical part. <laughs> so I wonder if it was hold on, Ethan, what? What you need, son? I wonder if it was the the like the stuff that was going on on campus. Mm-hmm. Oh. Hold on, let me mute him real quick. Okay. <laughs> go ahead and say why and i'm gonna try to calm him down i want to hear your the reason why you think <laughs> well i didn't know what we were talking i think we were talking about two different things though when we were talking about organizing i was wondering if you know if he if, if the person you were talking to was talking about getting people out on the street but you were talking about something different you were talking about the on the ground work that you guys were doing but i know uh for brothers that I had run into, one of the questions I was asking is why they felt, you know, hesitant about joining BLM and operating with BLM and, and actually getting out in the street and protesting. And a lot of brothers were, were actually, you know, very forthright. They were like, yo, I got warrants, you know, I got issues. Yeah. And the first protest that I had gone to, a BLM protest in LA, it actually ended up being like three all in the same day. And the funny part about it is so I'm driving back to Fresno and I see a brother at a gas station and I just struck up a conversation and asked him, are you you know, involved in any, any of this? And he said, nah, he said, I got warrants. And I realized when he said it, I had a warrant. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it, was, it was like a traffic thing that I never resolved. Right. But yeah. it was like, yo, I got a warrant, you know, cause it was a ticket I couldn't afford for a minute. And I was just, you know, thinking about that. And then I had spoken to brothers who had been arrested over those kind of warrants and what, what was supposed to be a day or two turned into a month. Wow. You know what I mean? Where defending themselves in jail or, you know, things, whatever may have been the reason they get caught up with having to stay somewhere longer than they plan to. So you're talking about cats who lost apartments, lost jobs, you know what I mean? Had, had women or leave them, you know, families breaking over, you know, being incarcerated longer than they planned. 
And at the same time, I'm I'm knowing uh, BLM members who are talking about, well, I'm gonna get arrested at three, and then you know when I get home, I'm gonna cook dinner for the right, kids. Right, right. I'm sitting there going, get arrested at three and be out by seven. I'm, you know, I never heard of that shit, but, you know, people were doing it. But, you know, when I started talking to these brothers, they were like, man, I got one. I can't afford to be arrested. Yeah. I don't know how long I'm going to be in there. I got to pick up my son from school. At right, right. Time, you know what I mean? And so it was those kind of dynamics I'm looking at, um, you know, that I I began to understand was one of the issues, you know. And then, too, um, you know, the whole idea of certain types of protests in and of itself not having a lasting effect is 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 almost kind of a class privilege to some extent that most black yeah. men can't assume but but you know you were talking more about the kind of pro the kind of activity you guys were doing tell us a little yeah, more yeah and, and maybe that's why because since i was the main one leading it <laughs> i knew that protesting wasn't gonna like it, it's funny because we say this in ferguson a lot protesting it, it, it eventually just get to the point where it's just a parade <laughs> mm. Because all you doing is walk around in circles and saying you're upset, but mm-hmm. I, I mean, who who wants to just get, wait? We we just gonna keep having a lot of parades, and right. I mean, nothing ain't changing. Well, and and the other thing I noticed, and I had an argument with a member of BLM on this tip too. I remember we were it was a it was a sister, and we were talking about it, and one of the things she was pointing out was the difference between no, she was trying to say the similarity between black men and women protesting. And she was making the argument that everybody, you know, went through the same risk. They went through the same threat. But one of the things I asked about, I said, well, how come in every major protest I've seen on television across the country, when black men show up in equal numbers, he calling for you, wait, he's trying to show you something. No, no, you good, you good. He was just telling me about this, that's all. (laughs) Well, no, but I'm just, you know, when the major protests I saw, when the cops would show up in riot gear, it was the protest where black men had showed up in like equal numbers to black women. And when it was majority black women, I wouldn't see cops showing up in riot gear. And I was so I was posing the question and I know she got real upset about it, whatever. And she was like, no, we have the same risks. Everybody risks dying and going to going to jail. But I mentioned Darren Seals past. I mentioned there were at least what five other brothers that died mysteriously in Ferguson, burnt up in cars, shot, so on and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about the assassinations that went on with certain black male activists. What did you know? So, so I will say I it, I, I do got it. The, the real truth is more about the night and day thing that I told you about. Mm-hmm. So if it's if you out there during the daytime, then it's not as dangerous as you as it is when you're out there at night. Right. So that's the big difference. But I will tell you, um, there were women who were killed in in Ferguson too, it's just that it was majority men. So mm-hmm. there were maybe like, cause Kimberly King, I don't know if you heard that name before, but she was killed in Ferguson um, in 2014, a couple of months after Mike Brown. It's just that just like with the police killings, it'll be like, it's like 5% women and 95% black men. Right. So um, it, it, it was happening to both, but let's keep it real you heard darren seals right you right. think they want that brother to live exactly exactly like so he he wasn't going to sell out right mm-hmm. he wasn't a scared of anybody mm-hmm. he peaked the blm game from day one day one so there was literally nothing to control him right 
Not even money. Because he was Not like, he was like, I got money. I'm good. You got money. <laughs> but but like like me, like like you know, you know, you personally know my st- story. Mm-hmm. I don't, you don't some of us don't need money, bro. Mm-hmm. Money ain't gonna make us sell out, mm-hmm. right? So, like, is is those people like that, and and it, it just so happened that the majority of those people were black men. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the reasons we have to stay, you know, empirically driven. We're looking at the data. It's yeah. not based on opinion. So whether we're talking about lynching, whether we're talking about police brutality and homicide, right. whether, you know, at each end, nobody's arguing that men and women aren't dying. What we're saying, especially out of black male studies, is that it, it tends to be 90%, overwhelming. 90 plus. Yeah. And we men. just need to be. And if you're going to. But here's the thing, though. If you're going to build an organization off the deaths of these black men, mostly. You can't then turn around and tell black men they can't be leaders. They can't participate in any significant way. You can't turn around and dismiss their presence while eating off their blood. And that's that's the point that I'm concerned about, you know, with this whole BLM switch. Now, this has continued to advance since that era. And now we're seeing people with millions upon billions, you know, being donated and this argument about where where the resources are going. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, and this is and, and so yes, like bro, again, your show yesterday was fire. And I, I kind of unfortunately I saw it at like 11, 12 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, I need to go to sleep. But I mean, oh, I, mean, I want to go do something, but I need to go to sleep. But I'm like, <laughs> but I need to go to sleep. Right, 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 right. But so yesterday you made the point about how BLM got all these millions of dollars mm-hmm. and like we talked about offline but let me say this explicitly the, the reason why this is such a problem is not just that they're getting the 90 million is that the people on the ground who are actually doing the work are not getting that 90 million mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so like all the work that I was talking about that we was doing here in Williamsburg and that many of us continue to do right now, even to this day, it's hard for us to get money. Matter of fact, another dude in my organization has been blackballed for getting grants. Wow. So think about that, right? So, and he's a black man, right? So we it's hard for us to get grants. 90, all the money, because people think the movement is BLM, all the money goes to BLM. So the people who's doing the work, what do we get? Mm-hmm. Pretty much nothing. And we just come out of pocket. But to, and, and this is why at some point you got to say that this is by design. Yeah. This is yeah. all by design. Yeah. So so you know what? Let's give BLM $90 million a year. Let's give BLM all that money. Mm-hmm. Because if they getting it, the people who are actually doing the work, who are actually want to get us free, who are actually going to make the change, they're not getting the resources. So yeah. that's why uh, the dude, um, homie in my movement was like, he said that BLM underdeveloped the movement. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like Walter Rodney wrote how Europe underdeveloped Africa. Right. He argues, and his argument is, is you can't argue against it. Mm-hmm. BLM has literally underdeveloped the black liberation movement. Okay. Even with using the, taking the letters BLM. So think about that now. Now we can't even say the Black Liberation Movement. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're you saying. What saying. Think about it. we want a name because in my organization we we had this conversation. What do we want to call the movement? Mm-hmm. And we was like, because 
because some people would call it the black liberation movement but mm. look how slick blm is mm-hmm. if we call it the black liberation movement what does it come back to blm right 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 well um and you know one of the things that i've argued about this is it has the potential to have long-standing impact because if the only groups only subgroups only smaller groups for example or at least smaller ones now that are going to get access to ongoing funding are friends of the the founders or friends of friends you know what i mean you know that kind of thing then they're going to be able to have some kind of access to longevity but the people on the ground doing this work who are actually interested in the larger community whole different thing or if you if you are sincere about advocating for the community or in particular black men and boys you might get even less unless you're talking about LGBT or feminist talking points. And these are the kind of things that I'm concerned with, the ways in which funding can shift the type of organizational work people are doing based on who has access to it and who doesn't. Because, I mean, look, you know, we're both fathers. You know, the reality is even before activism, if your child ain't eaten, you have to figure out how to handle that first. Right. So that priority comes into play. And if you're not, you know, if your family isn't eating, you got to you got to handle some business before you can give. So these resources have impact. I mean, there are a lot of chapters around the country had real on the ground issues with people who were trying to survive. Exactly. And they want to do this work. But if they don't get access to these resources in many ways, they have to continue to do what they've been doing, which is split their time and attention trying to survive. Bro, it's so bad that when I was in Ferguson last year, Mike. Brown Sr. said that he had trouble getting money. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because you saw the the Ferguson fathers. Yeah. Talk talk a little bit about that. Tell people what that was. So um I'm gonna try. I I ain't gonna lie, y'all. This this really pissed me off. So let me tell y'all two quick stories. A story the only reason you're hearing this is because I'm sharing it with y'all. But um, so I know Bobby Grant, who's the uncle of Oscar Grant. Right. Everybody know Oscar Grant, right? So I was talking to him one day. Um, I'm sorry, I was talking to him August the 8th, 2021, right before the Michael Brown commemoration. He was telling me this story. And he said that originally when he arrived, I can't remember what year it was, it was during the Democratic National Committee. Um, with when Clinton was running. Was it Clinton? I think when Clinton Clinton was running, right? He had came and CNN said, you know what? We want to interview you. So it, it had to be 2015, 2016. He, they, uh, I think it was Don Lemon. Don Lemon was like, I can't remember who it was. You know what? Let me just say CNN. I know CNN. They said they want to interview you. Hold, hold, hold on. Because you know, it's like, oh, he's here. So we got to create the story. Mm-hmm. So he's like, all right, let me get ready. Get, get ready for this interview. Get ready for this interview. They come back later and say, you know what? Never mind. Hmm. We don't want to interview. Hmm. But you know who we are going to interview? The mothers of people who were killed. Right, right, right. right. They literally, so no, listen to this. That means they intentionally plan Mm -hmm. after they talked about it to not interview the uncle yeah or the fathers yeah it's an interview the mothers right and then get this something else that he said that, that just just blew my mind but now it makes perfect sense if you look at the the women of those who were killed 
and in the national committee in the nat at the dnc national convention in 2016 i think that's what it was 2015. who did he have sabrina fulton from trayvon models um martin's mother and jordan davis mm -hmm. but pete this who killed them mm -hmm. vigilantes yeah so pete this pete the bait and switch right and it was smooth and it's crazy but have you have you see it so they went from literally black fathers black uncles and policemen because it was a police officer who killed Oscar Grant to now right not vigilantes mm -hmm. and black mothers yeah so in that way you silence the black fathers and you can still support the police well and you also support the narrative that black fathers are either not not present or don't care Right. Because right. I even even recently saw people on social media saying that, well, we haven't seen any of the fathers, so they're not around. It's like, no, they just haven't no. been invited to be interviewed. They intentionally kept them out of exactly. the spotlight and out of the media. Exactly. And Donnie is calling it in the comments, the 2016 DNC, Democratic National Convention, is where we saw, you know, the stage, right, you know, being set up for what they call mothers of the movement. Mothers of the movement. Right. No black men present. No black men and none of them were killed by the police officer. And that's why right now, Biden can still push law and order. The Democrats can still say they support the police right. while saying that they're also pro-BLM. Right, right. Let's, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about, because where we're going with this is this kind of blaming of black men. Yep. Let's talk a little bit about that. You've done some recent research yeah, bro. that I want you to kind of highlight for people. Um, and I'll put it on the screen and you kind of walk yeah. us through it. Well, actually, before that, tell us what this is. Yeah. So first, this this is what led me to writing the article. Um, I, I found this 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 thread on Twitter and we're going to go to the thread. But I found this thread and they literally just were having a blast. Mm. and making fun of black male death okay and some of that is like okay it's twitter you you whatever right but what stood out to me was this wasn't just some like bot or some random person or um so actually yeah, go ahead and click on the thread because i wanted to go through the thread and it will come back to that well where is it uh the thread is right there. Right there okay yep see here Okay. So as you can immediately um see a lot of the tweets were deleted. Scroll up. Oh, okay, down. Okay. Okay. So look, so as scroll up, scroll up to the top of the page and then slowly scroll down. Okay. So look, y'all can't even die right. Mm -hmm. Mean joking. Um they tried to die right. And then scroll down, it was one of them. This, is this crazy? Show more. Click on show more of a class, and they're just having a um. Look at that. He ain't lying, mm -hmm. and they're just having a field. But there's one I want you to see in particular. Um, it says somebody the the user is somebody for PhD. Okay. I don't know if it's gonna. Yeah, they might. It's funny because it's it's showing up differently. But the, hopefully y'all are getting the picture. As you're scrolling through this, they're just having a field day. Yeah. 
I've never seen as much misandry in one place as I have on Twitter. This is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, just it just keeps going and going. Meme after meme. Look at that. Mm-hmm. And then, bam, right there. What are we looking at? A blue check. Scroll up a little bit more. Chevron Summers. She, that's funny. She didn't delete them because most of the blue checks deleted them. Okay. And that's when I started to take notice that this not just some randos. Mm-hmm. These are people, black people, with influence mm-hmm. and power. And I guess it's not going to show, but it, the one did. So think about this. One of them was a PhD. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it was more than one. Yeah, and you're right. It probably was, but one said PhD in their name. Look at this. It just, I, dang, I didn't realize it went this far. Oh, yeah. Still going. Still going? Yes, sir. The celebration of black male death, unemployment, all of that is, is ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. Anything negative that happens with black men, especially on Twitter, is, is, is often highly celebrated. And of course, we've also seen this on Clubhouse. Right, you know, right. We've seen this with divestors. We've seen it, and you know, with even those that don't even claim divestment. But you know, you still see this kind of negative. Wow, it's still going. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think maybe I had got to a point where I just couldn't keep scrolling. You checked out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Oh my! All right, that's enough. I can't take yeah. anymore. Well, you know, the other reason I'm kind of doing this is I'm low key. Oh, yeah, I got you. I can mention because you know, as I do, and this happens with articles, this happens with data and charts. Stuff will disappear. Yeah, you're right because it might URLs will link it. You know, will disappear. People would would withdraw their stuff, and all of a sudden we act like it never happened. But I want people to see. I'm going to stop, but I just want people to see yeah. that it's going back so far to January 27th and still going. You know, so yeah. Oh my gosh. So talk a little bit about uh this. Oh no, no, go back. I want you to see something because this is gonna make even more sense. Okay, so Aisha is a writer, and that's what I talked about. She wrote for Essence BET, and this is why this is important. Okay, these aren't randos, these are people who are creating media content, these are PhDs, probably some counselors in there, probably some lawyers in there right and right. then look at this one um scroll go go back up to the picture that one omg Brittany daniel blue check she has um since um deleted this but they're having a little field day right but let's see who Brittany daniel is okay. look at this i am excited to join espn's escape formerly the undefeated mm-hmm she was literally just celebrating the death of a black man. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's writing for ESPN. Mm-hmm. That's why I was like, this is crazy and why something needs to be done. Yeah. And so then, um, let me explain it. And then we're going to go to the data. This leads directly into blaming black men, right? Mm-hmm. And so when I'm talking about um, blaming black men, I'm talking about, unfortunately, we got to the point where simply making an accusation 
has become a part of the trauma against black men. And it often requires no evidence for that accusation to- uh, No evidence at all, right? Oh, yeah. And then scroll down a little, I wanna just see what I wrote right there. Um, and so then, right, and this is gonna segue us into what we're gonna talk about. Well, I want you to see with the data. Go back up to right, um, go back up to that one. Sermon prepping for Sunday, preaching these words to my soul. And what she also has in that, what she has in that picture is a book of red lit theology. And guess who else? Bell Hooks. Oh, okay. Okay. So imagine going to the church and the preacher is preaching bell hooks. Right. So let's look at the data. So um, some of and some of the people, some of the listeners might have actually participated in the survey, um, but I created this survey, trying to and the, the good thing, uh, one one non-black person got in there. I don't know how they got in there because it's supposed to be, but you know it's pretty much ninety-nine percent black. I right. wanted to allow black men to speak, right, about their experiences of being blamed, right, of just merely hearing accusations. The day is going to blow your mind. All right, let's look at it. Scroll down some. You can go. Oh, what is this first one? Okay, so are you a black, are you a black man? man? Because I just mm-hmm. wanted to make sure. Right. Now listen and look at this. How often do you hear black men being blamed for something? Now hold now on. Let me see. See. I'm gonna see if I can enlarge this a bit. I do apologize. Okay. Let's see if this that actually might make it worse. Uh well, let's see if I can get this to there we go. Oh, there uh, we go. I hope that's a little clearer. Uh, but there we go. So let's try this. And then scroll up because maybe the text is clear at the bottom. I'm sorry. Okay. Under is that better? Bi-weekly? Bi-weekly? You, here, you, you want me to put Oh, the yeah, that's perfect. There you go. Okay. Look at that. Close to 50% said daily. Okay. So the question on this one, how often do you hear black men being blamed for something? Uh, almost 50% claim daily. Right. Yep. And this is out of uh, what was the total number again? We we saw about 132. 131 black men in particular. Half of them are saying that they hear black men being blamed for something daily. Okay. Yep. And so we we go down. You hear this blaming online. Ninety percent. Ninety-five percent. Ninety-five percent. Yes. Yes. 95% yes. And we just witnessed it on Twitter. Right. right. If yes, how often do you read comments, tweets, or posts that blame black men? Again, nearly 50%, 49.23 said daily. Right. And this might have been, you know what, I should have, uh, we should probably do this poll on YouTube too. But uh, yeah, I was about to say we can do another one. Yeah, we can do it because this is a uh, look at this. Right. So next one, do you hear or see black men getting blamed through the media, movies, TV shows, music? Damn, 94.7 percent. And and let's pause right here because I do want to throw this this rule out to help people understand this. Um, mm-hmm. One, I did research on race in the media. And there's one. Basically, everybody knows the 80 20 rule. Okay. But but people don't know that. Guess who commits seventy percent of all crimes? 
right. white people. Mm -hmm. Guess who they show 70 to 80 percent of committing crimes on the news? Mm -hmm. Black men. Yeah. So basically, you can say that even though black men commit probably only like 10% of all crimes, right? They are on the news 80% of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are so, the face. So of what happens? The the image that you have, who do you blame for crimes? Mm -hmm. Black men. It's you, you see it in terms of crime, you see it in terms of uh abuse, you see it in terms of you know, uh, it, it, it's the same narrative in each context. Usually comes back to black men as being the face of it. Uh, you want me to go forward or you want to say yeah. anything else about this one? Okay, so going forward again. Well, if you want to say anything, because I got um, TV and media. Well, actually, yeah, right here. Yeah, so how, how often do you hear or see negative commentary about black men through the media? Uh, nearly 60% of black men said always. 30% said usually, and then less than 10% said sometimes, you know, and then what looks to be, uh, I guess this is, uh, yeah, 3% said rarely. So the overwhelming majority of over 90% uh, or around 90, so no, about 87, eh, 88, somewhere around there said yes, right? That's significant. And right? that's on a regular basis, right. usually or always. Right. Uh, negative commentary through media. And this is one of the ways that we see, you know, black men and women conditioned to be anti-black male. And I include black men in that dynamic because you'll have black men. Like, you know, if we come up with a plan to uplift black men, the very first group that I'll hear to, to tear it down are other black men. Other black men. And then, you know, black women just take it to a whole nother level, you know, but especially through social media. But the point of the matter is we've been conditioned to see black men this way for generations. This is not new. This is not new. It's, it's just reached a whole new point. Like, like, like the other show we did, right? If you want to reference, tell people about the other show, but well, we, we looked at the images mm -hmm. way back from slavery all the way up to present. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, the images are there. Let's, let's continue. Yeah. Let's no. keep going. So the next one you have up, how often, are you blamed in real life or hear slash see another black man or black men blamed in real life at home, work, or out in public? You had uh, uh, nearly 30% said weekly. Uh, another one just under 30% said multiple days throughout the week, I guess that is, multiple days throughout the week. Yep. You had less than 20% that said bi-weekly. And then, of course, 20%, a little more than 20% said daily. Um, so that's a pretty that's a pretty interesting spread. Yeah, it is. You know, but it, yeah. the point that I think it gets to is that this is frequent. That's, yeah, or, that's what I think or, 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 and this for me, when I wrote the question, I was just wondering, is this happening? Because yeah. somebody even asked on, somebody even made one of the comments, it's not just in Twitter. So I was like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I asked about Twitter, I asked about seeing what's happening in the media, but what about in your daily life? Right. 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 And so what we're seeing is that. We're being blamed, <laughs> right? And right. so, and is this the last one? Is there one more after this? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it did. Okay, yeah, that's the last one. So this is a good point. I want to bring this one. Um. Yeah, how okay, often do you? How often do you get into arguments online or in person in response to you personally being blamed or about black men being blamed? 
you had nearly 30% that said sometimes, just under that rarely, just under that usually. Uh, you have about 15% said always. Yeah, that's pretty spread too. Yeah, so that's pretty spread. You know, So a lot of this doesn't look like it gets necessarily personal but it tends to stay in, in regard to media. That's what, we, and I think but, that's- But no, so look, Hassan, this is the takeaway point though. Mm -hmm. If, now let's look at this picture, right? If you get on Twitter, you see it, you're blamed. If you get on Facebook, you're blamed. Mm -hmm. If you watch a movie, you're getting blamed. If right. you watch the news, right. you're getting blamed. If you watch a television show, you're getting blamed. If you go to work, you're getting blamed. Right. The picture I'm hoping that we can see now is that blaming black men for right. psychologists have said that this has become a syndrome. And I am saying that this has taken a life of its own. Mm -hmm. So that now it's an entity in and of itself. Because the question then is, is this, where can we go where we're not going to get blamed? Huh? And I'll and you know what I'll add to that. Let's let's factor in time. So, if we just talked about the last forty years, we don't even have to go before that. We're just going to talk about the last forty years. This is a time period where we're seeing media and interconnectivity go through the roof on a global scale. Yeah. So these ideas, if we just took the last forty years of them, you know, what does that do? multi-generationally what does that tell kids growing up watching it how many thousands of images have you absorbed how does that shape your worldview how does that shape how you treat people how does that shape how you see yourself right how does that shape how others see you so if you factor all of those things in if you just take time right and the impact of thousands if not millions of images narratives and stories shaping your opinion chipping away at them even in terms of films and shows where it doesn't even need to be. I used to, you know, I used to talk about, uh, you know, we watched the very first Independence Day. This is just one of, you know, a hundred things that, you know, fall, fall out of my head. But I remember uh, in Independence Day, you had, uh, what's her name? She uh, played Will Smith's wife in the movie. Uh, uh, Rosaria? No. And I don't know how she escaped me. She's... Oh, goodness. Y'all know in the chat, y'all can let me know. But she played his wife in the first movie. She was still in the second, even though his character was gone. But she was, yeah. a, she was a stripper. Vivica Fox. You know, okay. Fox. So she plays a stripper. At what point did any of that have anything to do with the goddamn story? <laughs> right? But these are the kind of things I'm talking about, right? Where you'll have these little pieces, you know, where a black male character might be a thief or he might be a deadbeat dad. And it has nothing to do with the story whatsoever. It's not reflected in the data sometimes. It's not reflected in the narrative. It's not in the story, but it's an it's a part. So when you see that alongside thousands of others over decades, right? And then we're surprised when we see Twitter. We're surprised when we see the level of hatred and and just uh, you know rage at black men, even from other black men. This is this is a significant part of why. Sipping ain't easy, man. Let me, but let me, let me share uh, a personal story um, that will really bring all this home. Okay. I, as you, as you can see, I have children and, um, and you know, I was working a job that I didn't get off until like 11 o'clock, right? I worked the evening shift, so I didn't, I didn't get off until 11. 
I was in a counseling session, right? Mm-hmm. And in the counseling session, um, I basically made a comment about washing dishes. Okay. The counselor says, that's crazy. And once she cut me off while I was still telling the story. Okay. Which meant that number two, she didn't even fully understand what I was trying to get at. What I was trying to say was that because I don't get off until 11 o'clock, for me to wash dishes, then I wouldn't even be able to wash dishes until until 12. Mm. Right? But Mm. she made the assumption that I, I'm I'm uh, basically I'm unwilling to do the chores around the house. Okay. You you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Expound a bit. Go ahead. No, just the fact that her response of that's crazy in mm-hmm. the middle of me explaining the story mm-hmm. it's like it's crazy that basically um basically it's crazy of my difficulty because she was thinking, oh, you should just be able to wash dishes. Okay. Does that okay. make sense? Okay. It's like, oh, that's crazy. You should just be able to wash dishes. Mm-hmm. And th- this this might not sound as like hard hitting in, in a normal conversation, but let's be clear. I'm talking about a counselor, right? Mm-hmm. So let me say it this way: proper counseling is meant to understand the client, build a relationship with the client, uh, and understand where they're coming from, and then give them guidance. Mm-hmm. And how much of that is shaped on stereotype? Exactly. Right. So she literally said that she accused me of unwilling, of being unwilling to wash dishes. Mm-hmm. This is a you know a few nights ago. I think it was might have been last. I think it was last week. I did a show where I showed it was a, a therapist who got on Twitter and talked about how much difficulty she had seeing black male humanity based on the few clients that she worked with and her perception of them. And I found it interesting because this is a black woman talking about how she can't see the humanity of black men, you know, because of a few clients. And I'm saying, okay, so part of that, I showed a video of a brother who recorded himself in his marriage being abused. And she had no, she didn't even leave leave out the possibility for black men who are going through these things on the other end of the spectrum. She didn't just oblivious. But it's easy to be oblivious when you live in a certain type of of rhetorical or ideological bubble where everything reinforces this color purpling narrative that we've seen. So, you know, if you have, you know, majority in terms of the black population in college, if the majority of black women, you guys are taking in the same types of media, you're engaging in the same types of activities, your friends are the same types of friends. You know what I mean? You you can reinforce the same idea in this this little bubble all the way up into your 40s, 50s, and 60s. You can comfortably maintain this idea regardless of the reality because you're actually in a social bubble that reinforces it. And it's been backed by media as we've been talking about. And it's not its not a difficult thing to happen. It, it actually happens daily and it's right. easy. You know, it continues to happen. But And so, so what happens is, right? And let's be clear, right? I'm going through, count, I'm going to counseling because I've personally like been going through, struggling with some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm coming here hoping to get healing and, and you know, to move forward and feel better in my life. Mm-hmm. So the opposite happens. I get stereotyped. I get accused. I get blamed. 
and then and this is like i gotta share this story after i come out of the counseling office they just so happened to be a tv um right in the um basically waiting area in the hallway right mm -hmm. and the news is on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unbelievable right excuse my language guess what guess what the news shows a mug shot of a black male who just committed a crime right right like you cannot make this up mm -hmm. so i literally is and that's why i was like this is what i gotta get this message out right for this is why black men look is not crazy you mm -hmm. are this is happening to you right because because some people might think that this that didn't actually happen right this is black men who watching this this does happen to you okay i'm going to affirm you this is real and that's why i wanted to get this message out this does happen so <laughs> let's look at this whole scenario i go in expecting to be built up to get moved in the direction of healing not only do i not get that i get accused and then right when i come out i see an image of basically another brother doing a crime well wait a minute wait a minute here's the twist to that though in as much as she can't see that in as much as all you have all these influences that are that are shaping this and you know social to the social relationships that are further cementing this worldview she's sitting in front of a young black man with a doctorate who's taking care of a family who's willing to do anything from teach to sweep floors to make sure his kids eat who's also out in the street as an activist trying to improve the quality of life for his community all of that compared to the media narratives compared to the social bubble she's in all of that is irrelevant so this is why when i raised the issue of the therapist that i had that I, whose video i played on my show how many everyday brothers who are and by every day i mean she sees them almost every day how many of them can be virtually you know erased despite what they do despite what they contribute on a daily basis how many of them can become invisible simply because you don't conform to the narrative she's familiar with, mm. right? Because those same type of people can turn around and say, oh, I never see black men do X, Y, and Z. Right. You literally sat with one the entire session, oblivious. You're right. I just want to add to that little component. But, um, you know, yeah, this is what we're dealing with. And this is what we're dealing with. So uh, going back, if I can, to the BLM thing, let me, um, you know, just kind of pose this question to you now where does you know how do you envision your activism based on everything you've seen all the way up from your, your work in blm work on the streets work on the campuses work in terms of even your recent research on hashtag blame black men how do you see activism now what changes have you had to make if any in response to all of these issues yeah well in 2017 i got out of blm right deuces i like I finally saw the truth. Um, and so I've been out since 2017 mm -hmm. and doing this work. And now, so now I see exactly the way you started off this show, doing this work on a, on a global level, right? Right. Um, right. right now, because, and that's what's been happening. This color purpling of America, the media has been, media has been effective in having a global outreach. BLM, BLM is a global name, right? So for me, 
I see that it, the only way that we're going to be able to move the needle at some point in some way is on a global level, yeah. right? And then organizing, and now it's, it's organizing on a global level. So the, the let me give you a, a little bit of my blueprint. Oh, man. Lewis spitting you. Hey, that's a hundred percent on facts, Lou. Yeah, 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 yep. You're right on ghetto user 49. Yeah, um, yeah, so, so to me, it's it's organizing on a global level, and 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 I just I just show you a little bit of the blueprint. Really, the article is organizing on a small level Mm -hmm. because I'm like, all right. Like I just get you know the Bible verse. If you can be faithful of a few, then you be deal with many. I'm like, all right. If I can work with people in Spain and people in the UK and South Africa on getting an article published, then next I can work with them on something bigger. Okay. And then it maybe I can get a oh maybe I can have a global media platform. Okay. okay. With checkpoints with people. In UK, Spain, South Africa, Nigeria, etc. Mm-hmm. Having mm-hmm. A, a oh, and then so we got people in Spain writing, and we got people in, and mm-hmm. then oh, what's you see, you see what I'm saying? So yeah. the the blueprint is I'm just want to build literally brick by brick, piece by right. piece, piece by piece, and right. then so that's why I like, and this is what I do with all my work. That's why when I was even when I was working with BLF. I didn't get everything done in the first year because I want to build something that will last. So even working with you, Hassan, I'm like, you know what? Let's build, let's have a, a, a strong relationship, right? Not just a, hey, what's up? You know, we move on. But like, you know what? Let's be, let's, let's build something that's, that's firm, right? I know it's crazy. My house is wild. Man. <laughs> black families, yo, black families. Oh, it's funny. She, did, she doesn't think we can see her. I'm just looking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll scroll up. There we go. But let, let's build something and like you, like we don't got to leak it out, but like the stuff we're working on, right? We, 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 and we, we can have this conference, have a reference guide. There's something that's going to, you know what? How can I leave a legacy mm-hmm. for generations to come? Right. Mm-hmm. And shout out to Curry because, because Curry did say this, right? Curry was like, some of the stuff we're working on, people going to be able to look back a hundred years later and say, oh, there were some people who got it. There well, were some people who figured it out. Yeah. Yeah. And there'll be the reference our work that we are laying the foundation for into the mm-hmm. next generations. No, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, look, man, I'm I'm I really appreciate you taking the time to come. I know things are busy. I know the babies yeah. are up and moving around. <laughs> so thanks for doing this. But I really just wanted to give and kind of an insider perspective for brothers who you know been doing this work and especially those who interacted with blm because you know we hear the critiques from outside you hear the the rhetoric from inside but you have a small collective of brothers that actually started their own chapters tried to be in, to be involved we're actually you know if i could use the term card carrying feminist and we're still you know treated and this is one of the reasons I, I try to tell people that at the end of the day when you support these kind of movements you know, you get treated almost like a mascot, but, but you're, you know, but I mean, mascots get eaten too. I mean, at the end of the day, there's no protection (laughs) 
there's no uh there's no you know there's no avoiding this 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 misandry this perspective that black men are almost you know you know beneath you know in, in this kind of way these things are, are frequent and they're common and it's time it needs to get called out because you're not going to be able to formulate any kind of massive response to injustice in any form if you know the the perspective on black men is that we're less than human and deserve to be mistreated and this is one of the reasons for my work it's one of the reasons I support what you're doing uh, because you're willing to call it out, you yeah. know, and I think it needs to be stated aloud. So can you know. can we go back to it? Because I do want to um, show you the last part of the of the survey of the results of the. So you want to go back, okay, to, so the go back to the Google Drive document? Oh, OK. So wait a minute. Uh, I was thinking you were talking about the uh, chart. Hold on. All right. Here we go. Oh, crap. Because the last question, I just gave him like an open text. Just to, and these are all black men who responded. So go on. Um, this one. Yeah, here. that was it. That was it. Oh, the first one. Oh, you. Yep, that's it. Okay. Where you want me to go? Uh, keep going. Right there. Okay. Go up a little bit more. I'm sorry. Go down. I, go down, down, down. Um, I'm sorry. Is the first one you see? That's the first one. Yep, that's it right here. Um, so this right here is what a, a, a psychologist who, who talked about the effects of, bl of blame of black men syndrome. Okay. Said, this is what happens, right? So this is what professional trained psychologists are saying. What happens to, when we look at all the data that we looked at, that, that constant blaming of black men, mm -hmm. what we can see the experience. Some people have ruined lives, like, like if somebody was falsely accused for example like we always see we how many times you scroll down on facebook oh this black man was falsely accused then yeah. they came yeah. out and yeah yeah especially if they've, been, if they've been exonerated out of prison and they've served a couple of decades or something Actually, let, me, let me oh my gosh let me let me hit y'all with this stat this stat blew my mind so they when they start doing dna testing and they started keeping track of the number of people who were falsely accused. Okay. Like this joint about to blow your mind. They said that 50% of all falsely accused cases in the databases that they did were black people. Okay. Yeah. Let yeah. that sink in. Yeah. yeah. Of all cases, 50%. Mm. And guess what? I found another article. I can't. 100% confirmed this, but guess what they said? 90% of that 50% was guess who? Mm. Black men. Mm -hmm. Let this sink in. Close to 50% of all cases yeah. where they look back on people who were falsely accused were black men. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about all kids. So every Asians, Hispanic, um, Indian, every ethnicity, every race, all of them, fifty percent. Yeah. yeah, isn't that mind blowing? It's ridiculous, but that's where we are. And so we this leads to more lies, social alienation. Look at this: very high levels of mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. depression anxiety ptsd mm -hmm. and this is the one 
and this I and I hope this helpful to black men who's watching this. Some studies indicate that the psychological damage is similar to that seen in torture survivors. Yes. Yeah. And I wanted to give this because think about this. Just imagine a brother who said, I'm tired of you blaming. I'm tired of you blaming you. I feel like you're torturing me. Mm -hmm. That would be easily dismissed. Right. But in reality, trained professional psychologists have discovered that men who are constantly blamed have the same, have similar symptoms to those who have been tortured. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like you're saying, this isn't just our opinion. This isn't just how we feel. This is trained, re they actual studies and research. They found out that it's similar to torture survivors. Mm -hmm. That's why I was like, I gotta sound the alarm, and I gotta. So, if you let's look at some of the comments that um black men have made about this constant blame. Is that below here? Yep. Okay. One black man said, "The greatest disappointment." Is how surprised I don't. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's crazy, right? Oh my goodness! I go to the next comment. <laughs> don't feel. Let me see. Can you it see that? You feel like the world is stacked against me. Has made up his mind about me and people like me. Mm -hmm. How many times are we doing nothing but minding our business? Mm -hmm. And someone does something horrible to us and people blame us for what happened. Right. We just minding our business. Right. Right. Shots just catching strays. Just, oh, a black man did this. Mm -hmm. Black man did that. Oh, is that D. William Smith? Yeah. Shout out to Dr. Smith. What's up, man? I appreciate your work, man. Racial mm -hmm. battle fatigue. That's right. Y'all check out Dr. William Smith, racial battle yeah. fatigue. If you're not familiar, brother's fire. Absolutely. Fire. I just actually, uh, I quoted some of his work in that black male studies special issue we got coming out. So y'all be on the lookout for that. Mm. Um, mm. And then, yeah, go to the next one. He said, there's an ingrained culture of this. Yo, some of these men were spitting, weren't they? Yeah, absolutely. He said, there's an ingrained culture of disrespect of us in the USA. And sadly, many of us and our families back into that culture. Absolutely. 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 Keep going. This joint hit me, bro. Reading these comments was heavy for me. Mm. He said, upsetting and hopeless some days. Yeah. And that makes sense if he's feeling the same symptoms as someone who's been tortured. Absolutely. Absolutely. Feels like we are endangered people on the brink of extinction. And this is one of the reasons I want brothers to, to actually start to see each other as a resource and assist one another and you know everything from coming up with the black male political agenda and adding to it but also in terms of you know daily support you know call your brothers and see how they are like we have really got to start advocating for each other on a whole nother level mm. 
because at the end of the day, as these quotes are letting us know and confirming, you know, nobody else is doing it. Nobody's calling you to see if you're good. I mean, I've known brothers who died in their apartments and they laid there for weeks before anybody even bothered to find out about them. And this is the kind of thing that, you know, from, from that to, you know, our political standing, to our social standing, these are the things that I'm trying to get us to think about and start doing something about, even if it's simply, hey, man, you good. You know what I mean? Even if that's all it is, we've got to actually learn to support each other on a whole nother level because we're finding that that is not at all an assumption we can we can make. And I think the other thing is like and I and I you know what, fellas, I just open up. I There were times where I didn't even understand myself. Right. Right. It wasn't until I really because and that's the crazy part. Right. I And I. I I mean, I can't really be upset with some dudes because I did it. Like mm-hmm. I, I was the one who was like, "Let's take care of the women. Let's take care of the queer folks. Let's do." This. And I'm not saying let's not do that, but mm-hmm. I'm saying, black men, I want to give you the permission. You can focus on yourself. Mm-hmm. I want to give you permission to take care of yourself. You know, that's, that's guess I, what? You're worth it. Go ahead. No, no, that was the lecture I gave in San Diego last week. One of the things I, I argued because here. I've been talking about what I call men's relationship, emotional labor. And basically it it accounts for the kind of emotional labor men give either in intimate relationships, you know, all the way to policy, you know, the kind of things that we do to support others. And I actually had to say, there's a point where black men actually have to give themselves emotional labor. Even, even you to yourself, you know, there, there is, we're at that point because the, the framework where you sacrifice for others, be it a loved one, a wife, mm. uh, whatever, it, it, that system, that cultural system where you, you have that kind of family setup only works when you have others reciprocating that Same type thing. of support. Now, when you're in a system where nobody's reciprocating and black men have been depicted and framed as less than human, at some point you have to provide it to each other and to yourself because no one else is looking to do it. You become a resource, you become a tool at best for far too many or a boogeyman and a monster Mm. uh, for others. But the needed support that we have to have as human beings, we might just have to learn how to extend that to ourselves. And that's that's the reasons I had to give that lecture. And the thing, unfortunately, the point that we have to fight for it. Yes. So if you, if anybody follow me on Facebook, I just recently, I actually just left my job. I was just like, it was just enough. But the reason why I left my job was because I know my worth. Mm-hmm. And my job, my former job, did not recognize my value and my worth. Mm-hmm. But get this, though. Somebody actually responded to me and said this. You need to be a real man and work and take care of your family. Okay. And I'm like, really? Look, this, this is a system and this is the lies of the enemy. The lies of the enemy is you need to neglect yourself. You need to forget about your worth. You just need to work and take care of your family. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no. And a, 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 a good example that everybody knows is when you're on the airplane, what did they tell you? Mm-hmm. Put the mask on yourself first. Mm-hmm. So then you can save the other person. Mm-hmm. And I use, and this is what I'm going to tell the brothers, look, if you are broken down, beaten up, and you and you pretty much because you all know we have the life self, 
the lowest life expectancy, right? Mm -hmm. If we don't even take care of ourselves, how can we effectively take care of others? You know, I went through something similar in graduate school. Um, you know, I had a wife who was constantly in and out of the hospital. I had a newborn son. Um, you know, I was juggling grad school and, and four different jobs. Um, and there was a point where I might have had to drop out. You know, yeah. it really came down to dropping out uh, to support the family or going to school. And I'm a big advocate of and, and you know, I got this from Chuck D, Public Enemy, you know, I'll come up with a plan. That's yeah. my thing. My thing is a strategy. My thing is a plan. So I mapped out a plan where, you know, over the next two years, you know, I'm busting my behind, but I'm doing it strategically to change my condition. And mm. sure enough, within, I'd say, a two year period from that point where I had to drop out, I completed the doctorate and was able to transition into one job that could actually, you know, do the work of the four I was doing before. You know what wow. I mean? But yeah. that it took strategy. So there's a couple of ways to address, you know, when you're at that point where your back's against the wall. And as you say, you need to put the mask on. You can you can sometimes you got to drop everything you're doing. Sometimes for survival sake, you do. You need to do that. Other times you might need to sit down and map out a plan. But the point is, do something. Do don't something. let don't let the world condition. Don't let the world decide for you what needs to happen. Strategize it or, you know, do what you need to do to survive so you can be there for others. But at the end of the day, if you just let, you know, the world determine that for you, you find yourself in a worse position, at least right. from my experience, you know. And so we got to get to the point where we, we reach out to others for for guidance, for, you know, consultation. I got boys that, you know, uh, will get on the, on the line and I know that they just need a sounding board. And then there are other times, there are co other conversations where we need a strategy session. I need some insight. Yeah. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, it's still support. It just, you know, it just, it comes across differently based on what's needed in that moment. Because, you know, if I just sit there and wait for it to change, you know, it doesn't usually change for the better. And, you know, nobody's really kicking down my door to, to, to help. So you gotta, you know, at, at, in those instances, you gotta, you know, figure out what your, the best route is for you to navigate these things. But I'm, I'm a serious advocate of being a resource to one another. And, you know, whether it be in terms of engage, you know, collaborating on projects or whether it be, you know, just having a conversation. But uh, the needed support, we have got to become accustomed to giving and receiving support because um, often I find black men are used to John Henrying it alone, yep. you know, with no support, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's got to change. We, we have to be the ones to change it. Are, so, are there any more? Uh, let me see. Hold on. I don't know if you can see that one. Is that the last one? Uh, no. So th there's a couple. There's a couple three. More. Okay. Let's there's find one of the bigger ones and end on and end this on that part. Scroll down a little bit more. Yeah, here it goes. It makes me feel less than human. It reminds me what little power we have to create our reality. Hmm. Wow. So these are all responses to the questions you posed in your in your. Yeah. So in the last question, I allowed them to basically just how does this make you feel? Right. Right. And that's that's all. That's what they said. Yeah. Any final thoughts for the audience? Yeah. You want to? Yep. I for me, um, I want to say a couple of things. One, when I was looking at the the mental health component of this. 
black men deal with well the the research was on men in general right mm -hmm. um but because i because there's this ongoing narrative that men shut down mm -hmm. and what the psychologist said is that it's not that men shut down it's just that we process things different okay and that joint just it was so freeing to me and he said that some men actually do open up but some men process some men have to be active in their processing of what's going on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for example some men hey maybe going to the gym yeah is how they deal with this right 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 right, right. Or, or or maybe going dancing or like whatever so the thing is right i just want to encourage so one thing i want to say i want to encourage you black brothers whatever way that you process mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. emotionally mm -hmm. this mentally whatever yeah. you feel comfortable in doing that there is no one particular way right yeah mm -hmm. The, that the image we have is the person sitting on the sofa laying back talking to the therapist right that's not the only way that may be good for some brothers right but if some if you like for me sometimes i need to go ball mm -hmm. or if you like right. if you got to work out so i just want to give you permission and also and um encourage you to find out what works best for you yeah and 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 don't listen to all this other stuff out here you're and see that's the other thing right when with the blame and the trick of the enemy they will say that it's wrong for you right to have that emotional response right and what it is is no it's not wrong that's just naturally how we deal with things how we cope with things so i just want to get i just wanted to put that out there and mm -hmm. then the last thing i actually close with is just to echo something you said B brothers we need community Mm -hmm. and one of the projects that we all have to let this out now but one of the projects that Hassan and Hassan and I are working on is building up safe spaces because one thing I've learned from a lot of the, both my personal life and men who've eventually opened up to me mm -hmm. is not that men are unwilling to share mm -hmm. what has happened is men have shared they got shut down men have shared they got mistreated men have shared so then what now is become i need to protect myself sure absolutely because if i open up then the, the past 20 times that i opened up this is the way i was treated right so um we we like that reference got in the thing that i'm talking about the conference that we talking about offline hopefully that can lead to some safe spaces but brothers i would encourage you to find some safe spaces mm -hmm. where you're not going to be blamed <laughs> attacked you're not going to be attacked well, and, and let me add this too it, this, this is key when it comes to building certain relationships be mindful of people that weaponize your mistakes yeah. for themselves and use them against you and we tend to see that in intimate relationships a lot where you know you you know as you said you got black men that are trying to share trying to be open and at the first moment of vulnerability, you got somebody in your space that's going to take every mistake you made and weaponize it against you as a way of either dominating you, exploiting you, doing whatever. Those kind of things we need to be mindful of who we who we allow, who we trust enough to share that people have to earn that. 
They People have to demonstrate that they are are worthy of that because those I'm telling you, man, you get somebody that weaponizes your mistakes against you at the at the wrong moment. You talking about people who, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many brothers in the last few years have reached out to me about suicide. Yeah. And, and when you really get to the core of it, a lot of the time uh, they've gone through some pain. And when they reached out for support, they either didn't find any or they had people who were using their weaknesses or mistakes against them at the most vulnerable moment. And that is, you know, for some people, it can be a death sentence unless you reach out and reach for support. So, you know, I just want to kind of put that in people's cap. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And actually, I, I, what GC, I don't know who you are, GC, but at this point, I, I echo that. He said, avoid black therapists because the therapists I was just telling you all about, that's right. the seventh therapists I've seen since the issue that I've been dealing with since 2019. Right. Seven. So the only therapists I would recommend are the ones that have been vetted that you know, because oh, um, O'Shawn Gadsden, he's actually my homie. I know him personally. I would recommend mm -hmm. him. But mm -hmm. um, I know how therapists, you know, it got to be. He's only in Virginia. So um, <laughs> but unless it's somebody you know would get vouched for, yeah, yeah. I'll pull them too. Well, look, man. I appreciate you coming up. I appreciate yeah, you doing this. Thank you. Um, let me see. Uh, I want to make sure now, now tell people how they can reach you. And if they want to actually learn more about this poll you did or anything like that, what's the best way to get in contact with you? So I think, so for the poll, I can just share the results. Okay. We can do it. Me and you can set up another one. Cause that's the other thing, right? I'm outside of the Academy, so I don't have the resources. Mm -hmm. But maybe me and you can do another one that's better because I did that with Survey Monkey and I actually first it was my own money. I don't know if you remember, but I asked other brothers just to give me money just to even run that. Mm -hmm. So me, let's talk offline so me and you can set up another one. But mm -hmm. if you want the survey results as they are now, I can share that with you. But basically, okay. Dr. Hood Scholar on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can find mm -hmm. me on Dr. Hood Scholar. There it is. All right. Yeah. Shout out to you. I'm going to pull you down and, and close out. So hold on one second. All right, cool, man. Yo, but shout out to Dr. Hood Scholar for that. Much appreciation. I appreciate, of course, the Onyx Report audience. Uh, apparently, my shadow banning is acting real different. So brothers have been commenting uh, about not being able to see uh, any notifications about the show. So those of you who rock with me and, and who've been staying here, uh, coming through as soon as you you know see a show come up, much appreciation to you but this is the work we got to do and this is the this these are the types of advocating that we have to do particularly for black boys and men because again nobody else is going to do it so y'all know every wednesday i play the closing of my show the full closing and i really do hope that you take it to heart uh share it you know uh let others see it because at the end of the day we're really talking about moving black men out of stereotype to being people that uh, we ourselves have to become better at recognizing. So at the end of the day, appreciate y'all's support. Y'all have a good one. See y'all soon. I am here to tell you, brothers, we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man-children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, unintelligent henchmen, 
valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. Peace.